very happy to meet you, Greg Broadmoor. You were a legendary designer of fantastic creatures and landscapes. And uh, first of all, where do you get the ideas for your creations like the design for District 9 or King Kong? Or Just take a lot of drugs. No, I don't, take, I don't take any drugs. I'm a very good boy, promise. So, yeah, that's, that's the eternal question. Where does that stuff come from? Uh, yeah, uh, generally for me, I, I don't know. I talked about that during my talk. When I look out into the world, your imagination just kind of populates the world. You see things that shouldn't be there. Your mind just puts them there. And then the next step for me, ever since I was a child, was like, well, how do I make those? How do I make that real? How do I make it so that more than I can see it? Um, so I've made comics and and as in, in my films and now video games and so on. And those are all just a way of like transferring those ideas that pop into your mind that you, that I, sometimes it feels literal, like I actually see them. It's just all a way of taking that and taking it out of my brain and putting it back into the world in some way that other people can appreciate. So I don't know how it happens, it just happens. When I look at your world, I sort of see a little bit of 50s, 60s science fiction. It's yeah. a little bit kind of retro science fiction can, yeah, yeah. can it be called like that yeah well first of all i'd say all science fiction is retro science fiction because everyone is right the sum of their parts everyone just looks at what's around them and then uh, and then invents something new i just happen to cast my mind a little bit further back so for me i when i the, the first science fiction i ever saw when i was about four or five years old was on a black and white television and i would watch uh, king kong tarzan buck rogers flash gordon you know, those kind of old uh, science fiction serials and movies and fantasy movies. And I, um, they were all in black and white. They're all filmed in the 20s and 30s, all those old serials. And so those caught my imagination. And then uh, probably a year later, I remember going to the cinema and I watched Star Wars. And um, that cemented it for me, you know. So um, for me, like, th those inspirations are always there. And with District 9, it was a conscious choice as well. Like, we wanted to make, uh, Neil's pitch originally was Star Wars in South Africa. You know, so we did reference Star Wars. We also referenced lesser known science fiction designs uh, from the 70s and 60s. You know, like there's a lot of specifically an 80s thing, but there was earlier stuff as well going on in there. Um, and that's the same with all fiction. I think you take what you, you know and what you love and then you, you reimagine it. You mash it together into a big stew and then you distill something new and interesting out of it. You've done uh, designs for lots of famous movies, but mm. you also created your own world, this world of Dr. Grodbord. What kind of world is that? So yeah, that the Dr. Grodbord's world is one that is born of that earliest inspiration from me, from Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. So like I said, I saw those when I was a kid and they captured my imagination, the idea of rockets, but where you could see the sparks falling out of the back of them, you know, ray guns and this kind of very like uh, it was a world where much like the lost world where there was great potential the whole solar system was undiscovered you know so um that to me was a huge inspiration for the dr Grodbort's world it was it was going back to the history of science fiction and then reimagining that and then putting a satirical layer on top of that i imagined it through the ages of like the conquesting british imp empire going out into our solar system and taking over the moon and taking over venus uh much in the same way that m europe you know conquered uh, asia and and uh and africa and uh, still paying for it to this day i reimagined the same themes and ideas but in our own solar system again set against that science fiction the way it was in the 20s and beforehand yeah Dr. Grotbord, what you did was creating these characters. There's comics, bo comic books. There are actual guns or like figures you can buy. And now you created this Dr. Grotbord in new virtual world. It's 
not virtual reality, it's not really augmented reality, it's something called mm. mixed reality. Um, it works with glasses you put on, yeah. magic leap glasses they are called. What yeah. kind of world is that that we now can discover? Yeah, so what Magic Leap uh, has created is a new platform, and they call it the medium spatial computing. Um, computing that basically is takes place in space with us, in our own space. And for me, it is it has all the utility of regular computing. We can do amazing communications things with it, and we can build, and we can design, and we can do medicine, and we can do all kinds of incredible things. But now the, the ambition of spatial computing is to take it off of the screen, and make it non-abstract and put it back into the real world with us. And so we can visualize these things that previously were flat and on a screen, visualize them in the world naturally alongside us. And on top of that, the quest is just simply to naturalize computing. So take away the abstract. So instead of a mouse uh, clicking and sliding around, you can simply reach in and touch things and push things and uh, manipulate things. Um, so the potential for it is colossal. But for me, uh, I'm excited about it. As, a, as you know, as a comic creator and as a creator of fantastical worlds, I get to bring my imagination to life and put it into the real world. I mean, I think that's what everyone making fiction wants to do. You know, you, you have an idea and maybe you write it in a book, maybe you draw it in a comic, maybe you imagine it as a story, but really what you're wanting your, to do, right, is you want your audience to go there, to be engaged and to feel those feelings and to be in that place. And mixed reality and spatial computing allows you to do that in a very natural way. Like we have a robot invasion that can take place in your actual house that reacts to your actual your furniture, to, your, to you. A little robot gimbal, our little friend comes out of your wall and comes up to you and greets you and he observes you. He will, he will move out of your way. He tries to uh, you know, pay attention to your personal bubble. Um, you can reach in and you can push him and touch him and, and so on. So that to me, I, you know, previous, I could have imagined a world on a screen where those characters existed, but what better way to do it than to have those characters look you in the eye and interact with you in your own space and make you feel like you are the center of the story. What's really the, the, the amazing thing is these, it's, it's not like Pokemon Go where you have some monsters pasted on, on, on the real world. It's mm. like they become part of the real world. They can even hide be behind the, the sofa or yeah. the table in your living room. As a designer, how do you create these characters to... You don't know where people are going to play it. Are they going to play it in a, in a really Ikea-style uh, living yeah. room or in a 50s-style uh, uh, kitchen where they start fighting these robots in this game? Um, do, you, do you have that in mind or you don't care? Yeah. No, no, no. I, we think about that all the time. You, I, I wanted to build a world that was one-to-one -one scale with us. So we design all the characters as if they're human scale. So the robots walk around, they're you know, the same. Some, actually, we have ones that are six foot tall and we have ones that are three and a half foot tall and we have ones that fly around. Um, we have, but they're all basically in scale to you as a person. And when we're designing the game, our programmers, our designers uh, and our artists are all thinking in those terms of like, how does this relate to your space? And so we built our first game so that it would work in a living room because most people have a living room, we know, where they hang out uh, in the evening. So we thought, well, we'll build our game so that it should work in most people's living rooms. We know they've got walls, we know they've got floors, we know they've probably got furniture. We'll make the game adapt to those surroundings. But the game is actually is designed to work at as many places as possible just before. Uh, even though it was in the optimal setting, I had I, my friend played it outside of this temple uh, and it was actually happening out on the street as people were bicycling past. So uh, that potential is there too. 
It's an amazing world that opens now and maybe in the future, uh, at the moment probably people would still laugh at you when you walk around with these glasses <laughs> in yeah. real world. It would be like walking around with a, with a mobile phone uh, 20 years ago yeah. and in a few years maybe it's going to be normal that we are all going to wear these glasses and they take us to all kinds of places. It has lots of possibilities. Do you th think as a game designer you can sort of show the people how useful this future technology can be for all kinds of aspects yeah. in life. So, like for me, I am very selfish. I just want to create my, these fantastical worlds that appeal to me and, and I want other people to better experience them. But I do think all the time about the potential of, to impact many, many different things that we do. Whether I end up making those things or not is probably, uh, probably not, because like I said, I, I love making fantastical things and so that's my passion. But we, uh, we make a couple of tools actually as part of our development process where we're able to, so one of the challenges we had making our game is that one person is wearing a headset and I can look at the virtual things but I have to, I have to tell people notes like you see that thing over there I, I want that thing to be a little bit taller and the thing you know but they can't see what I'm seeing so now we have multiplayer art tools where everyone puts on a magic leap device we all look at the the assets together and we're all able to point to the same things and to me that absolutely points to the future utility for all kinds of things for architecture for medicine for uh, meetings of all types where you can have you're all basically around a virtual whiteboard or a virtual model or you know whatever it is in your profession that you can do um, Though that can be the, the the 3D geometry can be there, and you can all interact with it, make notes, make adjustments, and be doing that kind of thing. So for yeah, for many many different inter industries and enterprise, I think it has huge huge potential. And simply again because it naturalizes the 3D instead of having going to go to that computer screen and look at it, and then having to imagine what it might be like in the real world, you simply put it in the real world. Ta-da. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the future we will do an interview together on, with these classes on. You will yes. be sitting in New Zealand, I will be sitting in Switzerland. And we don't have to fly and yeah. um, produce uh, carbon dioxide <laughs> and stuff Absolutely. like that. It, it, has a lot, uh, it has a peaceful, nice future aspect to it, but yep. it can also be abused. I mean, oh, you've yeah. created a, 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 a shooter game. Yeah. It's very nice you said uh, you're shooting robots because yeah. you didn't want people to shoot other people or to shoot animals. Yeah, yeah. So uh, with your game you shoot robots, but maybe um, military industry could also be interested in your tools. Are you a oh, little sure. bit afraid of that too? No, I'm not afraid. I know the, the reality is that people are just people and people continue to do the things that we do uh, with all the different interests that we have. <laughs> Some people want to do um, terrible things and they'll, they'll, find, they'll twist technology to do terrible things. You'll never stop that, um, unfortunately. And I, it's, um, but I, all you can do is show by example uh, you know, how, to, how to do better and how to do more positive things. That's all I try and do. I try and, try and stop other people from doing that, what they want to do. And, um, I think that's generally the way I live my life. But yeah, people will do all kinds of interesting, fascinating things. But for me personally, I'll focus on the exciting, uh, uh, you know, um, optimistic and interesting and passionate things that people can do. And then the people who want to be dicks, they can continue being dicks. <laughs> nice last words. Thanks for this interview. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure.